I was raised off a route route three. Let's talk some NFL, the biggest sport in America. Sam, you found yourself watching any of the combine so far? Yeah, a little bit. You seem like a combine guy. Yeah, kind of. Like You're still the A's, or you like the dorky little stuff like that. Yeah. I like my spring training baseball in the combine. I like yeah. to see the future of the sport. I'm so locked in. I do. I don't want to go on any dates. I just want to watch the combine. <laughs> Kiss a girl? No, I gotta watch my sports. <laughs> Just kidding, Sam. Thursday afternoon, nothing better to do. Yeah, yeah, there's I guess probably, not. There's probably a lot that's better. To <laughs> I do was gonna that. say, there's, <laughs> like, yeah, take a nap would have been high on my list. Although the combine, there at least is always can, at least a talking point that comes out. He of can it. throw it on like while you take while a nap. you nap. Yeah, yeah, you know. So outside of player performances the one thing i've read is uh that there's talk about how no bull has transformed the combine in terms of just the way it's presented and facilities do you see any of that as you're viewing it i don't know. i mean I, I know that they have gotten away from under armor and kind of gone to them i guess that's a little bit more of like the futuristic look but yeah i, yeah. I haven't really seen seemed to notice a big difference yeah, it says here they now enjoy uh, a dedicated headquarters for preparation and training rather, rather than in the past they've just had to warm up in hotel conference rooms. Yeah, and, I mean, I still saw Michael Penix throwing in the hallway of the of the place, so yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> it does seem weird for, like, the biggest job interview at the biggest sport in America. It's just like, hey, get, get ready in the ballroom here. Mm-hmm. Seems dumb, and you understand why the, some of the big prospects are just like, nah, we're not going to do it. Only negative. Nah, not going to come, not going to throw. You could come to us where I can get ready in my state-of-the-art facility and sleep in my bed and, and be at my absolute best. I, I got two or three years of game film. Pop that on. And, and Drake May is not participating, right? Yeah, none of the, none of the top uh, quarterbacks are participating, I think. Because I'm sure you all have been seeing what I'm seeing. There is a groundswell of uh, Drake May's not got it mm-hmm. type of narrative. Found that interesting. That just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, for me, it started whenever he went to the same school as Mr. Trubisky. <laughs> he was going to have to be amazing to to beat those allegations when it came to me. I'm not saying he can't be good, but I'm not going to view him seriously. Nope. Those are there are certain positions in life that I am predisposed to to not believe in. Even though he only went there because of like his family. Yep. All right. I respect it. Yep. Mr. Bisky sucks. Quarterback at Ohio State. Used to be that. CJ Stroud might change the narrative there. But for the while, I was like, hey, you play quarterback at Ohio State? It's only one, though. Well, I know, but I'm saying, you know, him, he's pretty damn good. Sure, absolutely. But for a while, there what, there weren't any. None of them. So I was like, quarterback at Ohio State? Nah, I'm not going to believe in you. Now, okay, CJ Stroud might can change that narrative. Drake May has a chance to change the narrative, but Mr. Bisky has made quarterback at North Carolina one of those. Head coach football at uh, the University of Cincinnati. I want nothing to do with it. Was Brian Kelly good? Sure, fine. I don't want nothing to do with him, though, because you know who. I'm good on that. No thanks. I'm sure there are more, I'm thinking, you know, that, that are out there. Um, Marvin Harrison didn't show up to his press conference now, so he's just skipping it all. Testing, interviews, agent. Why do we think this is? Do we think he's trying to, like, move down the draft? Is he trying to scare off some of these top teams? I don't know. Or is he just... Really thinks he's that 
that good. Or no, he's just like, hey, I'm a ball player. I'm not going to do the sexual stuff. I'm a ball player. Because his dad, you know, was got credit for being quiet and cerebral, and it turns out that was more maybe more like cold-blooded and calculated whenever you hear about some of the stuff in his past. But, you know, maybe Marvin Harrison's like, hey, I got enough film at a prestigious school. I'm good. I don't need to come do your little jump through your little hoops. But I'm sure there are some franchises that will look at that as disrespectful. But maybe he doesn't want to go to New England. Maybe he doesn't want to go to Arizona. Maybe he wants to live in L.A. Seems pretty disrespectful Justin to me. Herbert. I'd probably drop him down to seven. About there. Yeah. I've decided, Sam, update on my my Titans uh, dream scenario. I have moved off Brock Bowers. I've broken up okay. with Brock. Okay. No thanks. Short uh, relationship. Yeah, you know, it was a little fling. It was a little fling. It was one of those things you see. I'm like, oh, pretty handsome. Pretty beautiful, I should say. Not handsome. I like girls. Pretty beautiful. Smells good. Eh, kind of annoying. I'm out on Brock. I want Joe Walt. Okay. And then I want Lab McConkey. I'm all <laughs> yeah. in on Lab McConkey. I've like broken Lad. I've broken up with Brock and I've moved on to the Georgia receiver, Lab McConkey. I've been on Lad for a while. Yeah. I'm now all in on him. I don't know if we're gonna get a chance to get our hands on him. Best wide receiver in the draft. Honestly, yeah, he's. Yeah, I think he'll be kind of like the Puka Nakua. That's right, Bob. You heard me right. Best wide receiver in the draft. Better than Malik Neighbors. Better than Malik, Malik who? As far as I'm concerned? Cause no, no, no. There's chatter that he's as good, if not even the better prospect between him and Harrison. That's fine. My boy Lad. He's going to be better than both of them. All it took was one video from this draft scout that people trust of being like, he's Antonio Brown. I'm like, you know what? Yes. Yes, he is. They're like, he does the same stuff Antonio Brown does on film. They talked about the way he could just stop on a dive and how he can get open that way. I'm like, you know what? Yes, Antonio Brown was unguardable, and Lab McConkey's even a little bit bigger than him, but run, you know, is similar in, 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 in like weight and shiftiness and all that. So, yes, give me a slightly taller Antonio Brown. That's who I want. I didn't watch enough Lad McConkey. He's good. Well, there was another guy that, like, you know, was like a draft guy. I was like, put on the film and, like, count the number of SEC cornerbacks that shut him down. He's like, spoiler alert, zero. It was yeah. like, he was open every time. Like, so, you know, doing it at a high level and, and having the Antonio Brown comparison. I just wanted you to know I'm all in on Lad McConkey. I'm now. all in with you. I've been on him for a while. Tackle, Lad. Big honky McConkey. That's who I want. It's that first name that's getting me. I'm struggling with that. That's fine. It's Hopefully it helps him drop to the second round where we need to where we need him to go. But that's where I'm at now. This will currently. be big for our British fan base too. <laughs> Calling Lad Lad. That's Cheerio. <laughs> so yeah, nothing else from the combine really stood out. But we hadn't talked about these NFL ownership grades. Some teams got really raked over the coals. Strangely enough, do you see who was the very worst owner in the league according to the players? Mm-hmm. The Kansas City Chiefs got an F-minus grade, which seems crazy. The best, which is kind of surprising when you think back to years prior, A-plus, the best owner in the league, according to the players, Stephen Ross with the Dolphins. I thought Stephen Ross was maybe on the verge of, like, the team having a mutiny against him whenever, you know, we're, we have a hotbed of political climate, and he's, like, doing Trump fundraisers and, like, a – a big-time Trump guy, and you're like, how's that going to play in the locker room? He survived that. No big deal. He survived like, hey, I'm going to get some tampering allegations, lose a draft pick. Doesn't matter. A-plus facilities, A-plus everything. Good job by the Dolphins. Yeah, I was going to say, if you watch that in-season hard knocks, 
the place looks amazing. So, you know, if you're a player and it's like, you know, where you're doing all your work is almost like a resort, that probably that matters a lot to players, I'm guessing, in this day and age. So I'm, I'm definitely surprised the Chiefs were that low, though. F minus, yeah. which is crazy for back-to-back Super Bowl champions. There were some things from the survey that stood out. The Broncos apparently uh, they had a couple cars stolen from their facility, from their training facility. Wow. The Raiders went out of the way to really make sure that you all knew that they hated Josh McDaniel. Josh McDaniels, excuse me, the S. They, they really wanted you to know that they hated that guy. They didn't trust him. They thought he sucked. Something else that stood out to me was the difference in the grades and then the breakdown I saw of like how the, the teams were acquired. It seemed like to be a real loss for nepotism. And like the whole like being a kid taking over something that somebody else in your family built. Of the top grades, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. The top nine grades were either all purchased or whatever the hell you do with the Green Bay Packers. They call it corporate structure. I don't know. There's no owner or, you know, whatever like yeah. that. They, they run it differently. But outside of that, everyone else at the top was purchased. The bottom four, D minus, F, F, F minus, all inherited. The Titans didn't have good grades either in a lot of things. The Titans got a lot of flack for being cheap at certain things, especially like travel. They, they struggled in travel. Apparently the players didn't like having to run the back of the plane while the coaches got to sit in the big wide seats. Which is kind of funny when you think about Jeffrey Simmons yeah. and his big ass having to squeeze back there. Meanwhile, your terrible coordinators and coaches get to stretch out up in the front. Is there anything to the purchase versus inherited thing that interests you? Is it just like, hey, you maybe the people who are buying these teams these days just have more money and are able to upgrade facilities versus the inherited teams? Maybe their assets are just tied into the team. They don't have necessarily the, the, the cash to go out and make huge improvements. The cash or the willingness, you know, that's the other thing, too. Some of these, you know, we've seen that. We used to see that happen in the NBA. I think that's changing. But, yeah, it, it doesn't necessarily surprise me because I feel like in some of these, uh, you know, family lines, these inheritance ones, you, you question the just the capabilities in general, too. Um, at least I do. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Colts have dealt with that with Ursay and right. him kind of being uh... – a loose cannon slash weirdo, but the Titans have similar questions with with Amy Adams. I mean, she, yeah. and and you've seen this with every in every league. But I mean, like some of the biggest franchises. I mean, the the Lakers had problems with the Bus Brothers, the younger ones. You know, before the before the sister took over and Jeannie kind of restored the prestige there. The Yankees haven't been the same since Big George died. Hank and Howe didn't do a great job of running it and for a while. And, like, you know, there's there's something to that, I think, in terms of, of the kids taking over. It makes me wonder, too, because we talk about how poorly the Chiefs were reflected in this. And, again, that's a family line situation with Clark Hunt. They just announced in the last day or two that they're going to invest $800 million in renovating Arrowhead Stadium. Really? Yes. And I just wonder if it was motivated by, I mean, not, I mean, obviously this was in the plans, but my point is their announcing of it seems kind of coincidental. It just came out right after this. 
Yeah, I don't I don't know because the the things they really struck out on was treatment of families, D plus, food cafeteria, C minus, a nutritionist was an F. The locker room was an F, so maybe the renovations, yeah, you you can really fix the locker room. Training room a D, training staff an F. Like those things are brutal when it comes to like a, an organization that should be first class. But there was talk in, in one of the stories I read that talked about how the the bullying worked. How last year the Jaguars made headlines for having like rats in their facilities. I think the Bengals made some things happen too. I know they were like one of the last teams in terms of their cafeteria rating, and they didn't even give their players meals at the facility. Well, that's funny because they did improve, but they went from charging f- for food all the time to I think giving uh, three meals a day on Wednesday for free. I think it just, <laughs> just one day. A week. I think it's just one day. Nice. But Arizona was a similar that they were charging food for all the time. Yeah. And now they give away free food. They're like the players, are like the food still sucks, but hey, at least it's free now. The Cardinals tested really poorly too. They were they were near the bottom. The treatment of families category was the one that really stood out to me the most, just how, like, universally around the league that kind of is bad. The Chargers was terrible. Well, yeah, they had, like, a facility, like, it wasn't even there, and you had to pay per kid. 75 bucks for the first kid and 50 for any child after that. Yeah, that seems kind of crazy. But, like, I told you the Chiefs had a D-. minus. That was good for 18th out of 32. So that means, of course, you know, 14 other teams had worse than that. Worse than a D-. minus. How about this one? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they finished 24th overall, charged non-starting players with less than four years of experience a fee of $1,750 if they wanted to opt out of having a roommate in their hotel room prior to games. Wow. (laughs) Wow. He is right. I mean, look, you come from the business side of things. Is this common practice to, like, nickel and dime your employees? Like, it, it... is it something that you don't look at in terms of, well, we're a company that makes X amount of dollars or this asset's worth X a billion dollars. So let's splurge a little bit and make the employees happy. Because especially in the NFL, when you talk about like what you said, the guys with less than four years experience, like those guys are usually seemed as kind of replaceable and, you know, only here for a little bit. So let's just run this as cold blooded as possible because our jobs and the money we do pay is so valuable that we can find replacements, and if these people don't like it, they can leave type of thing? Is that normal? Because to me, it seems like, hey, if a company's worth X of billions of dollars, maybe treat the employees better. I've got a couple of examples. There was one that I experienced firsthand um, with my last major corporate company where they basically would dictate, for example, for business travel. It's like you're flying this airline, and you have this kind of per diem, even though you were going to be going into a city like New York where it's prohibitively expensive to eat out and do other things. And a lot of times people were almost forced, unless you went and did like Sabaro or McDonald's, you would have to almost go out of pocket. So they wouldn't take the cost of travel into expense of like would, the, how, how expensive the city was. There'd like, be, yeah, there'd be a cap and it yeah. didn't matter market by market. Now, the other one I've heard was, um, you know, because my wife used to work at ESPN and she still has connections there at ESPN. They went so far, and this was a Disney thing, as to say, if you were doing your business travel, any of your frequent flyer points and everything, you had to turn those over to to them. You couldn't, like, reap any of the war, the rewards for the miles that you were logging, mm-hmm. um, you know, which usually correlates into free flights and other benefits. Sure. But, I mean, it's like, come on, man. You talk about not seeing the long game, you know, being penny-wise, pound-foolish. Those are great examples of it, and it 
absolutely resonates with a workforce that they're kind of like, what am I doing here, man, if this is how it's going to be? I get it in corporate America where you have a lot more competition and, you know, people can change industries and, hey, I can sell this thing here. I could do the same thing over here and sell something completely different, but they treat me better and going to pay me more. In the NFL, it's not like it's not like people are leaving Kansas City. Yeah. It was an F minus. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like they're like, well, this, we get treated so bad, this organization, I'm out. Nah, we'll keep winning Super Bowls and we'll do that. And same as Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh gets credit for being a, a, a good organization that people want to play for, too. And they were second to last with an F. I don't know if people are going to sign up to go play in Arizona after this, but if they win, I don't think people will care. The Dolphins, the Vikings, the Ravens, the Broncos, those are the top four. Bottom four, Bucks, Cardinals, Steelers, Chiefs. Vikings A-plus. We'll see if anybody wants to go sign and play with them. I don't know. They said three coaches graded out the A-plus. Andy Reid, Campbell, and, and surprisingly, O'Connell. That doesn't surprise me with O'Connell. He seems pretty likable. Yeah. With the way he handled Josh Dobbs and kind of kept the gloves on there in terms of – That's fair. And yeah. always praising him. Every every clip I saw of O'Connell this season impressed me. And, of course, Andy Reid seems cool. And who was the other one? Oh, MCDC, Dan Campbell. That checks out, too. That checks out. And maybe that's really what it comes down to when it comes to attracting players is just what you think about the coach. And maybe that matters more than what the food cafeteria offers. We'll do our weekend betaway. Eli Herskovich coming up next. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. And built in Tennessee. All right, it's time for our weekend betaway with our friend Eli Herskovich. TheLines.com. Eli, top of the morning to you, my friend. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, pumped to talk some college hoops. What a what a weekend slate, especially for you guys with Tennessee and Bama. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We're calling it maybe maybe the biggest Tennessee regular season game since '08, Memphis versus Tennessee, when that was one versus two. We're thinking this might be the biggest since then. Gigantic matchup. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. And Alabama and Tennessee both avoiding a bit of a look-ahead spot, although Tennessee's matchup against Auburn. I mean, you go back to that. I was emailing back and forth with Bob a little bit yesterday. I'm glad. I don't know if you had a chance to watch the game in person. I'm glad at least Bob did. Dalton connect down the stretch. 25 points in the final 12 minutes. I think you guys, I'm sure you guys have touched on it ad nauseum. Just his shot-making is Truly unprecedented, and especially when you consider the path he's taken going from a low mid-major and then some to now doing this at the SEC level and hitting shots over Jalen Williams, one of the better defenders in the conference. It's I, I truly couldn't believe what I was watching at times. And Auburn shot making, especially from the guard spots, of still a bit of a concern for me with this team overall and Janai Broom getting switched on to Dalton Connect. That has also been something that's plagued Auburn just because Broom's foot speed, even though he's an elite low post big like you guys saw in the second half, guarding Dalton Connect is a whole nother ball game. But either way, Tennessee proved that they can create a whole nother problem for teams in March that frankly Rick Barnes teams probably haven't had since what, four or five years ago with Grant Williams and Schofield. 
Eli was there for all 40 minutes, unlike my co-host Bob. He uh, he had family obligations and dipped out early and missed the Dalton Connect show. I got to see all 40 minutes in person. Whenever you <laughs> whenever you are handicapping March, you know, starting now or looking forward to the tournament, how hard is it not to take single players into account? Or do you take single players into account when you're trying to figure out who you think can make a deep run. You think back to some of the guards who have carried their teams, like Kimball Walker always comes to mind. Can Dalton Connect have that type of effect, and how do you weigh that when looking at the future? So it's when you're discussing betting odds versus perception and just maybe filling out a bracket and not considering the futures market and buy low or sell high opportunities, two very different stories and two very different approaches. Absolutely, to your first part, Dalton Connect can carry Tennessee to a, a run to the Final Four. Tennessee has everything you need to win a championship when you think about the uh, just the criteria that goes into teams that win a national title. Top 20 offense, top 20 defense, that's kind of the been the storyline over the last couple decades, and Tennessee has that. Now, if you're asking me, is Tennessee worth betting on? And what teams do you, I look for when stars can potentially carry a team even farther than what the public may perceive and expect and bet on? That's a different story because I tend to look at more long shots. Like I, you know, I would have to go back to look at what UConn was the year that Kemba not only carried them in the NCAA tournament to six straight wins, but won the Big East tournament when UConn underperformed in the regular season. That was truly something else. Dalton Connect-ish, but Kemba on a different level. So I kind of look at some longer shots, you know, a team that we've discussed of late. I'm not saying P.J. Hall is on this level for Clemson, but it kind of goes to that notion that the Tigers were, what, 25-28-1 to when I bet them a few weeks ago to make the Final Four a team that could space you out, has really good guard play, starting to pick it up defensively, and they have a superstar in P.J. Hall. Maybe not your typical guard that can carry you, but still a guy that can create a lot of mismatches in the tournament and one of the better bigs in the country. So long shots when I'm looking to, or at least maybe underdogs when I'm looking to make a bet. But when you're looking to make picks for a bracket or just, again, the perception around a team, Dalton Connect is that superstar guard in March for sure. Morning, Eli. And first off, thank you for uh, giving Dalton, well, you're giving him love here, but also I, I saw your post on X and uh, you had to take a few, uh, you had to take a few bullets from some, some fans who want, you know, they're wanting to troll what's going on with Connect. But uh, I thought, I felt like you uh, acquitted yourself well in defending what's, what we're talking about. Again, that, like you said, that shot over Jalen Williams was pretty elite right there. So um, that was awesome. Eli's an honorary VFL. There you go. He's an honorary vol, Eli. <laughs> uh. Listen, I I have to deal with trolls, Bob, every single day. It has nothing to do with Tennessee fans themselves so or any fans across college basketball for that matter. So I understand how it goes. Yeah. Well, let's let's shift over to uh, this game tomorrow night, which is going to be certainly epic, at least from the the, the lead in perspective. And I, I do think it's going to be an amazing game. 
from what you're looking at, you know, we haven't seen a line yet. I've been scouring, looking around for one. Still have yet to find one, but I'd love to get your take. I know you you typically speak in terms of possessions, maybe before the actual line comes out, but. Um, we've been talking through this one a lot. There's, you know, a little bit of history. Tennessee's won two in a row against Alabama. They ran them off the court in Knoxville uh, earlier uh, in the season. Um, but it's it's at Alabama, hostile environment. There's a lot at stake. We know that if Alabama's on with their uh, perimeter game, they're going to be a, a handful. Just kind of curious about your take. Um, and also factoring in the Dalton Connect effect, as we call it, because we're not sure Alabama necessarily has anybody who can shut him down. So what are you thinking in terms of not only uh, kind of a spread, but also the total? Because this thing could be certainly a high-octane game. Yeah, we saw Kentucky-Alabama fly over the total last week. The projection for that market in particular, you're probably going to get it around 165 would be my guess. That's what my numbers kind of make it out to be. When it comes to the point spread, I make this closer to a pick So just which team wins the game is what you may see in the betting market, at least per my numbers. But I could also see this opening closer to Alabama minus one, minus one and a half, maybe even close minus two, just because the market, as we've seen, it's not just in the SEC. I mean, we saw it with Alabama or with Tennessee and Auburn, for that matter, on Wednesday, yes, Jalen Williams and his injury status affected the line. And even when he was activated and expected to play, the reports came out that Williams is going to suit up. The line still didn't budge much. It closed right around Tennessee minus six and a half. And keep in mind, that line opened around balls minus four and a half, minus five. So market shading towards SEC home teams, Big Ten home teams, it doesn't matter. I wouldn't be shocked if Alabama closes right around a two-point home favorite. Now, you mentioned if anybody on the tie could slow down connect. I know Latrell Wrightsell is a bit undersized, but I think his status is going to loom large for this game. Still dealing with that concussion. We have no idea yet if he's going to be able to play or not. So keep that in mind for any of your listeners or viewers that – are potentially looking to get down some money on this game. I'm not saying right cell is going to stymie and hold connect to 10 points or something like that, but he's their best defensive player and their best three point shooter efficiency wise. So whether right cell plays or not is going to impact this game. We've seen Alabama's defense, not that they were good to begin with at that end of the floor, but it's definitely taken a hit without him. And in some games, their three point percentage has dipped going back to even last week against Florida. You mentioned Alabama getting trounced in Knoxville last time these two teams played. Alabama shot 421 from three in that game. I would expect at home, much better home team. Actually, the only loss for Alabama in Tuscaloosa came against our Clemson Tigers, if you remember in non-conference play. But I, I would think Alabama has a much better shooting performance at home, even though Tennessee has uh, top 20 defense and is one of the better defenses in the SEC. But a lot of this game to me will hinge upon whether right cell plays. So when you look ahead to next week, I know this theoretically could decide the SEC regular season title, but Tennessee going on the road to South Carolina, revenge game for the Bulls, and Alabama going on the road to Florida and a big revenge game for the Gators after losing in overtime to 
Alabama. That was actually the first game that Wrightsell missed. So a big game, big implications, but still a lot to be decided in this conference. If you think Alabama is going to shoot better and you know that Alabama is a borderline 100th ranked defense, do you think this game goes over the total? I don't think, you know, the same level, of course, that Kentucky and Alabama did last week where, you know, Kentucky, <laughs> you know, almost got to 120 points and quite frankly could have if they hadn't taken their foot off the gas. But do you think we're in for a similar high 80s game here or do you think maybe it slows down a little bit? I think it could slow down a little bit just because this is one of the better defenses in the country in Tennessee. So you're not going to get a Alabama-Kentucky game for sure based on the fact that both of those defenses are around top 70, top 80, and Tennessee could actually defend in the half court and in transition. Alabama making more threes, maybe you see this final score outcome seal up at around 80 to 76. Let's just say that's just kind of a, a guesstimation there, but doesn't mean it flies over the total. So you could technically take a look at the under. I will say, if you're going to bet this, uh, under the total, wait to see where the market goes closer to tip because just based off of public perception with Alabama being one of the better offenses in the country and with uh, a game between uh, Auburn and Tennessee flying over the total, I think public perception could drive this number up where you may be able to get a better number closer to when these two teams actually take the court when I'm talking about the under. Alright, let's look around the rest of the country. You've You've been heating up with us here. I've been checking out the Lions podcast. The NBA guy's on fire, by the way. I don't know if you keep up with the NBA podcast, but he's been making me some money there. Outside shots. <laughs> I saw that you posted your college basketball weekend bets, Final Four Futures episode already this morning. Let's look around. What are some of the games you got your eye on this weekend? Yeah, Big Ten. Let's head over to the Midwest, my part of the country. Wisconsin likely going to be around uh, – one or two-point favorite against Illinois. I make this closer to Wisconsin, minus two, minus two and a half. And Badgers coming off of a loss at Indiana, just a dreadful loss. And they've lost six of their last eight games overall. I think this is as good of a motivational spot for Wisconsin as you can get against an Illinois team that's kind of similar to Kentucky and Alabama, in a sense. I, I like to call the Illinois fighting Illini the Illinois Hawkeyes, just because it kind of remind me of the Iowa teams with Luca Garza, elite offense and just putrid at the other end of the floor. Illinois, yes, they scored right around 1.6 points per possession against Minnesota, but they allowed 1.48 points per possession. So that was a high-scoring game similar to Kentucky-Alabama. Maybe not Kentucky scoring 120-like, but... Either way, Illinois' post-defense is very, very exploitable. Wisconsin in a huge, huge game for them to potentially get that double bye come the Big Ten tournament. Tyler Wall, Stephen Crowell, two of the more affected bigs and more underrated bigs, frankly, in college basketball. And A.J. Store too, so efficient, the St. John's transfer around the basket. So Illinois potential look at spot as well with Purdue on deck next Tuesday. I think Wisconsin wins this game by a possession or two. Um, what about the, it's the, the team that confounds me right now is Kansas, uh, which is odd to say, cause they're, you know, perennially such a power, 
But without Kevin McCuller playing, we saw it the other night against Brigham Young. I mean, they're they're a different team, and they've got a big one going into Waco against Baylor. Probably, at least from a per-ranking perspective, uh, we've already talked Tennessee and Alabama. It's, Kansas and Baylor is probably one of the top three games of the day. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I would expect Baylor to – see, I make this closer. To, this is one of those games, and we discussed similar instances over the last few weeks. I make this closer to Baylor minus six with McCuller out just because my power ratings with Kansas. I mean, you consider they lost to BYU earlier in the week as an eight-point home favorite, zero depth, and then you lose McCuller, and a team that already can't space the floor loses one of their more efficient shooters. I mean, McCuller is the most impactful player on Kansas by far when you think about two-way. I know Hunter Dickinson gets his flowers, but... McCuller, arguably right up there with Jamal Shedd for Houston when he's healthy to be Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. So Kansas can't space the floor against a leaky Baylor defense, especially right around the arc, just because they run that no-middle defense and the Bears at that end of the floor not nearly as potent as they were two or three years ago when they won the national championship. And then on the other side, Baylor's second-best three-point shooting team efficiency-wise in college basketball. Big bounce-back win for them over TCU on Monday night. You go back to the first time these two teams played at Fog. Keep in mind, no Kevin McCuller in that game. Baylor, yes, dealt with some turnover issues, but they only shot 30.8%, which is pretty low for them, considering they shoot right around 40% from behind the arc on the season. Injury to monitor for this game as well. Links in love dealing with that ankle injury. He's missed a handful of games of late, including that Kansas one going back to a few weeks ago, but I think Baylor gets right from the three-point line. The When it comes to the betting pick itself, I wouldn't touch it if it goes over a possession-ish, even though I make this closer to six. Like I alluded to, this is one of those games where even if this line, and even with McCuller being out, trends in Baylor's direction, Kansas could still potentially cover this number with a backdoor around two possessions. And if they turn Baylor over, this game could get interesting. I think Baylor wins the game. Maybe you throw them in a money line parlay, but I wouldn't necessarily lay the points. And I have one more for you. Uh, and this one we're going to be paying close attention to because it involves South Carolina, who is still in the, the mix for the SEC conference title. It's a noon start, so the day starts early, but number 24, Florida, at number 18, South Carolina. Thoughts on that one? Two teams that have outperformed my expectations, South Carolina pretty much outperforming everybody's expectations. Lamont Paris could very well be the national coach of the year when all is said and done. And Florida, when you think about last year's transfer-filled roster, has really put it together, probably more unselfish players than what Golden had to work with last season. But we've touched on some defenses that have struggled in the conference and the SEC Florida is no exception. Right around top 80, just around the 80th ranked defense in college basketball. Interesting game, though, just because both teams, you're kind of getting them at their peak rating. I would expect the Gamecocks to close around a two-point favorite at home. Maybe Florida gets some money and this closes right around a pick. But when you think about mismatches at either end of the floor, Florida has bit of a size advantage over South Carolina, and the Gamecocks have been pretty steady on the defensive glass, but 
still vulnerable inside the yard, kind of similar to Illinois. Not saying they're at the level of the Illini on a in a poor sense defensively, but Gamecocks can be had inside the yard, and Gators have two of the better bigs in the conference, and Samuel and Hanglotten, and also putting up the second most two point scoring rate or the second highest two point scoring rate in the conference. So if the Gators are able to play inside out, I think they probably win this game outright, but too close of a toss up for me to maybe make a pick, an official pick. Eli Herskovich, the lines.com. Go subscribe to the podcast. You just got to search the lines outside shots. A great college basketball podcast. Do you feel the same way about Tennessee, Alabama, that it's too close to make a pick or are you going to put on your orange as an honorary VFL and fire up the, the, the people here in Knoxville? So I'm going to have to remove my honorary v- oh, no. VFL for the oh, no. for a minute or two here. I'm sorry, Tennessee fans. I know I oh, talked no. up Dalton Connect. I know. I know. He's I apologize. Alabama. But I, I, do, <laughs> I do think Alabama is able to shoot much better than they did in Knoxville. But, but, but if Wrightsell doesn't play, I have the right to change my pick. Or just to make it easy, don't. <laughs> At Alabama, if right cell is out, just wait and see if he winds up playing. I like the hedge. I like the hedge. He <laughs> he reserves the right to change his opinion if the player doesn't play. I like that. That's a good out. And even if he does play, maybe he's got limited minutes. You're like, well, I didn't know that was coming either. I, I thought maybe he was going to be full speed like Jalen. Uh, do, you, do you have a Final Four future you have your eye on right now this week? Has anything caught your eye on the way out? So I've, I have I touched on Clemson with you guys last week. I still really like that future considering you can get them right around 25-1 to 1 still. And Jack Clark shutting down Blank Hinson on Tuesday night, holding him to six points, Pitt's leading score. I genuinely – I haven't felt this good about a futures bet in a long time, and I'm not just saying that. But looking at some other teams that could be in the mix and maybe a team I have my eye on here – St. Mary's is kind of interesting, even without Joshua Jefferson for the rest of the season, dealing with a season-ending injury going back to a few weeks ago. Big game on Saturday night. If for anybody that is looking to stay up, I know it's maybe not East Coast Dad approved, but St. Mary's-Gonzaga, huge game, maybe not for seeding purposes in the WCC, but could mean a lot when it comes to whether or not the Gales can make a deep tournament run just based off of the eye test in that one. Wisconsin, I mentioned the Badgers and against the Illini uh, with you guys earlier in the show. I do think Wisconsin, even though they've underperformed of late, sometimes three-point defense and three-point shooting overall can just be luck-centric. Badgers right around 20-1 to to make the Final Four. They were in the plus 800 range going back to a couple weeks ago. One of those bets where if you like, the, if you like Wisconsin, if you like my take on the Badgers, you probably want to bet the Badgers to make the Final Four before this game tips off, just because if Wisconsin beats a ranked opponent, the number is likely going to dip. And when you think about how much they've struggled in conference play, a get-right spot, maybe Illinois undergoes some negative variance, just because, like I hit on, sometimes three-point shooting is just luck-based. And even though Alabama, just going back to the last time, Alabama and Tennessee linked up. Yes, Tennessee has a good defense, but sometimes you just have an off-shooting day. The beautiful thing about these long-shot futures, you just got to hit one to be a genius. Eli, appreciate <laughs> you. We'll talk to you next week.
Good luck. Good luck to your Vols. Next week I'll be an honorary VFL. You know, I don't know if I believe you, Eli. You, you, you picked Bam. I don't know if I believe that you're wishing me good luck for my Vols. <laughs> Fair enough. Good luck this weekend and have a good rest. Let's of the make show. some money. I'll talk to you next week. Thank you, buddy. Sounds good, guys. Always enjoy my time with Eli. Don't know if I like him throwing away his honorary VFL status I tried to give him, but hey, he told us the only color he cares about, it's not orange. It's green. That's the color of money. Nice. Yeah, you get it. <laughs> hey, I'll give him I'll give him credit, you know. I don't like I don't like what he said, but he stands by what he thinks and I hope he's wrong. There's times we don't want Eli to be wrong, but this is one we do. Yeah, I would not be riding him with Alabama. Although some some people believe in the emotional hedge. There might be some Tennessee fans that just bet on Alabama. That way they're happy one way or the other. It's true. That's not me. I want to feel maximum pain when my team loses. <laughs> Let's lose money and just be sad about our standings. Let's do it both ways. We'll wrap up the show with our best and worst from the week. We'll talk a little Tennessee baseball we got a lot to cover over the last 15 minutes. Stay with us. You know what? I'm, I'm going to have to grab this Clemson 25-1 to 1 just in case Eli's right. St. Mary's, I'm going to leave that one alone. I'm not, I'm not messing around with St. Mary's. but I agree with what he said about their game tomorrow night with Gonzaga's uh, sneaky good game because there's so much at stake for those teams, namely Gonzaga. I mean, they're, they're a bubble team at this point. But uh, I'm with you. I've watched a little bit of Clemson. They're, they're actually pretty good. But, I mean, there's a lot of good teams. I just don't know if they're Final Four good. But it's an interesting pick. All right, we need to touch some Tennessee baseball real quick. Sam, anything we need to know about this weekend's series? I know A.J. Russell not pitching tonight. A.J. Causey staying in the Friday spot. He's getting the start tonight. Is that correct? Yeah, Causey's going to get the start. Uh, definitely is going to be something to look out for. You know, obviously, Russell a little bit banged up. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think you're, you're obviously going to be looking for another sweep this weekend. Uh, keep the bats going, but. I, I think I would kind of keep a, a close eye maybe on that pitching staff and just kind of who they rotate uh, throughout there. Obviously, you're going to have Drew Beam going game number two. That game three starter hasn't been decided yet. They're, they're going to keep going kind of just all around the bullpen with that one. Uh, but I think with a couple injuries in this in this pitching staff now with Stamos and Russell, I think you'll see a couple new faces. Yeah. So nothing really – Noteworthy other than Russell going to continue to kind of rest. They're calling that like a side injury, like a – Yeah, like a – I would guess maybe like an oblique or something That was like the word that. I was going to use because yeah. that's what I hear about with pitching all the time, but I was like, I don't know where the oblique actually is. That's like your yeah. – I was thinking it was like the side, yeah. 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 So they're saying it's kind of a, a side issue, not an arm, nothing like that. Yeah, I would say A.J. Russell's is a lot less cause for concern than Stamos. You know, obviously the bicep – you know, that soreness and that tightness in that area that can never be too good if it gets to Tommy John type surgeries. So. Yeah, no, that's scary. And apparently, you know, Botello was actually on with Russell earlier. Yeah. He, he said it was a side or torso type of injury for Russell. So, okay. 
just something that could be aggravated, and there's no reason to throw him out there against Bowling Green. And, no. You know, I don't. Is Illinois any good? Have you looked at all at Illinois yeah, next week? Not Cause really. Because I, I know you got like at least a Power Five school coming in to Knoxville, and I, I know in college baseball that sometimes that doesn't matter. Like, there's plenty of quote unquote Group Five schools who are just as good as the bad Power Five schools. So I, I didn't know if Illinois was any good or not. Yeah, no. I, I honestly wouldn't even be super shocked if you kind of see this pitching staff hold Russell until like SEC play starts you know what you've got out of him like give him a couple weeks off and just make sure he's 100% once you get to SEC play okay so yeah nothing really to look for this weekend other than like hey continue to score some runs trying to get injured because you you are getting sneaky amount of injuries kind of piling up sure and the pitching staff too well right yeah yeah, but the pitching staff took two injuries and you don't want to start compiling that yeah especially as you're trying to figure out spots and who you can rely on so these are valuable reps I think another one little tiny thing will just kind of be that outfield rotation I think you saw Robin Villeneuve really kind of take control last week of being able to to command great at bats at the plate and I think you saw Hunter Inslee kind of get shuffled down into that lineup and, and maybe get benched I think that's a an interesting point for the rest of the season on if you value Hunter Inslee's defense over Robin Villeneuve's bat well, you also have to worry about the locker room dynamic of that too. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, it's tough, and you know that this was that was something the baseball team really struggled with last year early on, and Vitello didn't shy away from talking about it. Just the locker room vibes were off, and this is your early season test of a guy that was kind of entrenched here, getting replaced by a transfer, and you know Tennessee has a lot of transfers here, and all of them are kind of balling right now. Mm-hmm. So if you were a kind of a leftover on this roster, either you're balling like Christian Moore or you're kind of up for – your spot's up for grabs is kind of how it feels like. Yeah. And, you know, Drew Beam, of course, throw there's, throw a couple more names in there. But, like, sure. for the most part, like, hey, new guys are coming in and they're they're trying to take your jobs. Inslee was in a, in a tough competition, too. You know, had a bunch of guys that are – even behind him being a guy who was a starter coming into the year. Like, he's got, he had a ton of competition – on his tails, and I think it's kind of starting to catch up to him. So I think it'll be interesting on if they like his speed and, and his defensive ability more than Villeneuve's ability to just hit it to all parts of the park. They took our jobs! Bob, what's the best thing you saw this week? Well, at the risk of uh, you guys, oh, we no. all no, we probably all have the same best of the week, but I'm going to give another one that I think is kind of a feel-good story, and that is uh, – Former NBA player, kind of a fringe player, but I remember him. Scott Pollard played at Kansas, played uh, on those Sacramento Kings teams with Bibby and Vlade Divac and those fun Kings teams. He was at death's door just a couple of weeks ago, was waiting on a heart transplant. He got a heart transplant. Uh, He's been at Vanderbilt Hospital over in Nashville Um, just yesterday. He got out of the hospital. Nice. 13 days after the transplant. Walks out, rings the bell like you would see, you know, cancer patients do. Just a cool story. You mm-hmm. just think about, you know, uh, I guarantee you that guy is, uh, he's got a lot of gratitude in his new heart at this point. So I just thought that was pretty cool. That is somebody I always kind of liked. He was on those Pacers teams around the time yeah. I was a Pacers fan as well. Yeah. He I was, was a- rooting for Ron Artest and them. I really liked those teams. He was a character, but yeah. I thought you were going to make another reference to missing the Dalton Connect show. Is what I thought you were. Oh no! <laughs> thought you said we were going to give you a flag for for missing the best performance. But yeah, I don't know how it's not Dalton Connect. It's got to be Dalton Connect. That's got to be. Thing. Yeah, that's the best thing you saw. Of the, it's got to be of the week. And honorable mention, I guess, to LeBron's fourth quarter against the the Clippers. 
turning back the clock. But Don connects the best thing in sports this week. Yeah. What's the worst thing you saw? By the way, LeBron, nine points away from 40,000 for his career, which will be the first ever. How's he going to break it? I don't know. It's a good question. Turnaround jumper. Scoring, scoring 10. <laughs> he could break it by scoring nine, too, Sam. Sublime answer. Hey, smart ass. He could score nine and get to 40,000 as well. Okay. Worst of the week. These guys are pissing me off, and even as an SEC and a little bit of a Big Ten fan, they benefit. But we talked about it yesterday about the college football playoff, that they're already talking about expansion to 14 teams. Now it goes a step further, and now they're saying that the Big Ten and SEC are pushing for a model that um, the first, the two first-round buys would go to one of each of their champions. I actually like that better because I think the SEC and Big Ten should be flexing their power more. So I, I kind of like. I was I was a little mad that they were you know willing to make some concessions on automatic qualifiers to other conferences whenever they could you know have more teams in there. But I do like they're like, hey, actually, we're guaranteed the f- two buys. Thanks. I, I guess my point is, and you mentioned it yesterday when we talked about this whole thing writ large, and that is. Man, can we just try the new format first? Yeah. Let's see how that goes first. Yeah. It just feels like, my God, man, slow down. Anyway, that's my, my worst. My worst of the week, Sydney Sweeney announced that basically all but all but sure they're going to get an Anyone But You sequel. More, more of her and Glenn Powell. More damn Glenn Powell out here. And also, I feel like that's a slap in the face to the rom-com couples that came before them. Whenever Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan sparks flew and they hit it off in Sleepless in Seattle, did they turn around and make Sleepless in Seattle too? No. They made You've Got Mail. They said, you know what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna to take the same formula, the same relationship, but we're going to tell a different story. When, when Julia Roberts and Richard Gere, whenever they, they found love, in a hopeless place of her being a prostitute and him falling in love with her. Did they run it back with, with Pretty Woman 2? No, they did Runaway Bride 2. When Richard Gere and Diane Lane did Unfaithful, which really wasn't a rom-com, not very funny at all, but they didn't run it back. They did that other movie too. You don't do a sequel. You just do a new movie together. We don't need anyone but you two. It's fine. Hey, Glenn Powell's sexy. So is Sidney Sweeney. Just tell a new story. You'll make money. Sam, sorry, we don't have any time for your worst of the week. <laughs> Banning the hip drop tackle. Apparently that's getting confirmed. Okay. Dumbest play in sports. <laughs> the G.I. Jake Show coming up next. Stay locked in on Fan Run Radio. Have a great weekend.